0: What's up? Hello, this is Admin Cubana coming back at you with another episode of the Unladylike Lounge podcast. And today I am joined by Katie. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. And how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Awesome. We appreciate having you. And tell us a little bit about yourself today and what we'll be talking about. Okay. Um,
1: About three months into COVID lockdown, I found a golf ball in my breast. Oh and my I am here to tell you there is nothing ladylike about breast cancer, except <laughs> maybe that it's mostly ladies who get it.
0: Oh my goodness! No, absolutely nothing ladylike about breast cancer. Now, a golf ball, a, a golf ball that is a large mass. How it is how? how and you may be. With- Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. You may be
1: wondering how I found it. Yeah. Or no, you may be wondering how I missed it. Like, how could you miss a golf ball in your breast, right? But the thing is, I have really, really large breasts.
0: Oh. And
1: so when you have breasts that are like a size 32, double H, you can hide a golf ball in there. And nobody's going to know, including the owner of the breast. Oh, my goodness. I normally just rely on um, exams by my OBGYN and an annual mammogram. But COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench into it. And the year before, the doctor had had to rush out for a delivery. And so that part of the exam was never done. So there was plenty of time for Tilly the tumor to grow really large. And oh my goodness. The The other thing is that when you're feeling the lump, you're actually feeling a lot of other stuff too. You're feeling all the surrounding tissue and everything that sort of encapsulates it. So it felt like a golf ball, but it really, really Tilly was a
0: little smaller than a golf ball. Okay. All right. So now when when you say, like, I, I'm i sorry, I'm still blown away that this is a golf ball-sized mass. This just further shows us the importance of self-exams. When you, sorry, I one second, I'm just going to pause real quick. Okay. All right, sorry about that, guys. We are back, and Katie is back to let us know how she was communicating her, her, um, Situation with her posse. Sorry about that, Katie. No problem at all. So when I first found Tilly,
1: I immediately called my very close friend, who just happens to be a breast cancer surgeon and breast cancer researcher. And this was very, very late on a Saturday night. And she said, "You, it could be a cyst, but at that size, probably not. You should get an ultrasound immediately." The next day was Father's Day. So, I oh, oh, oh. Um, mainly because the hospital wouldn't have me. But when I got in and had the exams, they do a series. First, they do a mammogram to make sure that there are no other nasty little surprises in either breast. Okay. Then, depending on what they've seen, they send you to an ultrasound. And that is actually the thing that tells you is it smooth or jagged? Smooth is phew, jagged is yikes. Is it solid? Which is yikes. Is it, does it fell? Is it filled with fluid? Which would be phew. And so once I had double yikes, the next thing they did was send me to get a fine needle aspiration. So while I was waiting for that, I'm madly texting everybody, "Uh uh-oh, bad news. And I realized I cannot do this for every single thing that's going to be happening from now on, I'm going to have to send out an email blast to everybody all at once so that I don't end up telling the same stories over and over every time. Right. So what I did was I wrote was what was in effect a humorous essay every single time. And sometimes my funny bone was broken and I couldn't make it funny immediately. And in that case, I put it away for a few hours and I'd go back to it. But the benefit of the humor was that it gave me time to distance myself from it a little bit. And it made it easier for my posse to read because otherwise it could be kind of difficult to read some of the stuff that I was going through. It's a little like um, watching the movie Get Out, which is a horror comedy. So you're watching it. But you're hiding your face. But you're peeking between your fingers.
0: It's kind of like that. Absolutely. How were you able to? To I mean, like you said, some days your funny bone was broken and it, it, you had to put it away for a while. But how were you in such a such a serious and and let's be honest, kind of scary situation? How were you able to find your funny bone to begin with? Well, it's easy if you have no filter. <laughs>
1: Yes, wow. yes. It's, you just, you know, all those little secret thoughts that people have, but they would never say them out loud. Oh, yes. Okay. Just say them out loud.
0: Yes. If you
1: say all those secret little things out loud, I guarantee you, it's going to be funny.
0: I I love it. I love it. That's exactly what we're about at the Unladylike Lounge. So I, I'm here for all of it. Absolutely what is what is one thing that you you were was there ever one thing that you said that your friends were kind of like wait wait a minute i is that funny are we supposed to laugh or or did they just kind of know your humor from the start and and took everything took everything in stride
1: i don't think i ever said anything that was in more than usual bad taste but um, a lot of the things were, they were just such odd juxtapositions that it was pretty easy to tell that they were supposed to be humor. So for example, uh, when you get radiation, which is for a serious breast cancer, that's about the third thing that happens. First, you have a bunch of tests. Actually, I guess that would make it the fourth thing. First, you have a bunch of tests. Then mm-hmm. you have uh chemotherapy and it's called neoadjuvant if they do it before surgery and they do that for two reasons they want to see what works in case when the tumor is gone it comes back and okay. so they ended up doing a bunch of different chemotherapies on me and the other reason they do it is to shrink it so that instead of taking off half your breast if it's a fairly large tumor they're taking off a smaller portion which in my case, left behind a divot, which is appropriate because I understand there are divots in golf until (laughs) it was a golf ball. So, um, and then the next thing they do after surgery is radiation. And radiation is kind of like uh, salting a garden. You wanna make sure nothing else is going to grow in that soil. You wanna make sure that your breast is really inhospitable to the return of Tilly or any other sequels. So um, what I didn't know about radiation beforehand is that it tightens, it makes your breasts smaller and it lifts it. So, yeah, I know. So you get, you're getting a one-sided breast lift and reduction, which would have been bad except the surgeon asked me, do you want me to do the other side for you? (laughs) And (laughs) I I said, you know, I think surgery on one side is bad enough. And I had, I discussed it with my husband and we decided, okay, I'm not going to be walking lopsided. It (laughs) won't be such a difference that I'll be swimming in circles. (laughs) Um, It's not going to make him divorce me. And so his attitude was, why suffer any more than absolutely necessary? Yes. So, you know, while I'm writing to my friends about swimming in circles and walking (laughs) lopsided, that's kind of typical me. Okay. And I guess there might be some people who would
0: take offense at it, but I hope not too many. But this was, this was your usual humor. So they were, they were used to the, the, the funny, the funny bone.
1: Yes. And the other thing is, There's a lot of stuff that happens to you in breast cancer treatment that is intrinsically funny. I know that sounds weird, but for example, to stick with radiation just for a minute, when you have large breasts, they want to make sure that they don't rest on your chest while you're on your back, because that concentrates the radiation. So guess what they use to hold it off your breast Uh or off your chest? Dental rolls. You know those little cotton cylinders the dentist uses it like collects drool and blood and stuff. okay, they prop your breast up with dental rolls. Tell me that's not intrinsically funny
0: that I as as a as another trusty lady myself I'm I'm literally picturing trying to hold, oh my goodness, I'm I'm trying to picture it myself and this I can't. Oh my God. Well, because
1: we're on lady ladylike here, I can talk about how, you know, you lie on your back, your breast kind of puddles out. So you've got, I was, I, I'm actually, because I couldn't really tell quite what they were doing. I'm not sure if I was a three roll gal or a four roll gal, but they use the number of rolls that is appropriate for the size of your bosom. Oh, so, oh my goodness. And I don't even have to make jokes about that.
0: All I have to do is describe it. Yes, and it's it's and you wouldn't for for our audience members who who haven't had the experience of of going through cancer radiation, the whole process. They would never think in a million years that there's anything funny about cancer or or the or the experience of treatments. But even just that alone is like. You, you can't deny that that's funny. Dental rolls, to, to, oh my goodness, that is that is wild. What you know, it's the same thing with not censoring yourself.
1: So I've been watching a lot of the Great British Baking Show, a because I love to bake, and b because it's just a great show. But if you've ever watched it, you know how the judges are often taking a spatula. And talking about the underside of a pie being underbaked. Well, when you've got a bunch of people in the exam room handling, I'd say manhandling, but it was all women, handling your breast, you expect them, because they're peering under it, to take a spatula and say, oh no, this is underbaked.
0: It's underbaked. It yes. is underbaked, and then there's there's just chunks in there that are just <laughs> yeah. partially done. It's it's awful. I I I am picturing oh, what is his name from Hell's Kitchen? I am picturing him telling me how horrible my breasts are. It's it's insane. Do you feel like your humor helped your friends cope with the situation?
1: Yes, I do because I think when you've got a posse, they want to be supportive and they do do supportive things. It was the middle of COVID. So people couldn't come to the hospital with me, but they could cook food. They couldn't come in my house, but they'd leave it on my front porch, ring the doorbell and run away. So, you know, but they want to be emotionally supportive as well as practically supportive and, a lot of people really don't know what to say. And some people just disappear because there's so, so, I don't know what to say. But yes. if, if you show that you can take it, whatever it is, well, first of all, it has to be true. But oh. um, assuming it is true and you're showing that, then you're kind of providing a model for how everybody can act because it was better for me if people had a sense of humor about it I prefer gallows humor so you know if they're talking about if they're making jokes like you know gallows humor well even the term gallows humor suggests an end approaching a little more quickly than I would like but it's it's still humor and That's helpful. Humor always helps. And as a bonus, it, there's actually, I'm, I'm a retired psychologist. Technically, okay. I'm Dr. Katie, but I just have people call me call Katie. Anyway, um, there's research that shows that humor reduces pain. And yeah. so it's, I really wasn't in pain very often. There really isn't a lot about breast cancer that's painful. So, but, um, there is also research that shows that the neural pathways for emotional pain are the same as the emotional pathways for physical pain. So anything that reduces emotional pain is good for you.
0: I was just going to ask, I was, I was just going to say, they say that laughter is the best medicine. And do, do you think that that helped your recovery through this?
1: I don't think it made a difference physically. Okay. Um, I'm, you, it's probably against the law to get a PhD and not believe in science. Right. So, oh,
0: of course, of course.
1: But I do, I do think that there is some kind of a connection that we don't understand very well yet between mm-hmm. the mind and the body. So oh. this is a little bit of a digression. But they have shown that older people who go around calling themselves old actually ha- die sooner than older people who don't do that. Really? Yeah. So Wow. And there's also uh, evidence, again, you know, I'm sort of cherry picking all kinds of research here, but there's also evidence that uh, from Holocaust survivors that if they told their story even once their physical health improved. Oh so my. there is something about telling your story and telling it with humor that is
0: really helpful. Oh my goodness. That is incredible. That is something that I like to hear because I I feel like just externalizing whatever it is that we normally tend to keep bottled up, just it, it, I I can't speak for anybody else, but I tend to feel just that little bit of that little sense of being able to breathe easier each time. So that's, that's incredible to have that sense of validation for sure. Um, what kind of tips, advice, I don't like to say tricks or anything, because I feel like if we had tricks in life, um, I doing in life will be so much easier. Um, any kind of tips, guidance, advice that you would give for either cancer patients or even their loved ones on how to comfort, um, their loved ones going through the process, um, that you would share?
1: Well, I have several things,
0: although my book is
1: really not about tips. My, Oh, I never said before that I, yeah, I've written, I collected all those, those emails into a book and the book is called what, what to expect when you're expecting breast cancer. And I, nobody expects breast cancer till they find the lump. Then that's all they're expecting. They're expecting breast cancer. But it's really, the purpose of that was really to demystify what the procedures are like. So people have blow by blow knowledge of what it actually feels like to get a breast MRI, for example. Um, but in terms of tips, I guess they might be implicit in the book, but I would say several things that are not in the book. One is that for the people trying to be hopeful to the person who's been diagnosed with any kind of cancer, not just breast cancer, It is not helpful to say, uh, let me know if you need anything because nobody is going to let them know except for the pushiest people. It's much more helpful to say, would it help you if I sent food? Would it help you if I did this? Would it help you if I did that? Or even people who offer specifically I would like to make you something. What is, what tastes okay to you now? Because I was never nauseous because thank you science. um, The, the drugs they have now for anti-nausea are so good. I was not nauseous for one single minute. However, Mm -hmm. my taste buds were very confused. And so there was a lot of time where I'd taste stuff from somebody that I knew was an excellent cook. And I'd give it to my husband and say, Ugh, if you like this, you can eat it. And he'd start eating it. And then a couple of days later, my taste buds would recover and I'd go, no, that's mine. You can't have it. <laughs> so, But I guess to get back to the tips, offering specific things or just asking the person outright, Right now, what would you like me to do? What would be helpful? Okay. So that's really practical. And I had a number of people who offered, and I also had some who just said, let me know if there's anything I can do. And that was the last I heard from them because, you know, I had other people doing the other stuff. The other thing is, don't give somebody false reassurance. You don't know that they're going to be fine. They don't know that they're going to be fine. The doctor doesn't know that they're going to be fine. So to just say, oh, I know you're going to be just fine is like, really? I like your crystal ball. Right. So it is not helpful to say that. Follow the lead of the person who's been diagnosed. And there are okay. some people who don't want to talk about it. But the tip for them would be there's so much evidence that getting um, emotional support, having a network is really important, that even if you don't want to talk about it, you really need your network. Okay. And you don't necessarily need them to do stuff for you. You just need them. right? And the other thing is that as I was saying there's evidence that telling your story helps there's actually some great research by this guy named james pennebaker out of texas i'm not sure which school he's affiliated with that shows that journaling every day makes depressed people happier okay so that is something so you know i was the, the I was doing the equivalent of journaling, but it was kind of a, a threefer. I got to add humor. I got to journal and I got to tell everybody was what was going on all in one fell swoop.
0: Right. You got to you got to get it all out and and check all the boxes. So there's
1: also um, quite a bit of evidence that exercise both helps alleviate depression and also minimize the side effects of chemotherapy. But let me tell you, when you are feeling like a limp noodle, you have zero desire to get out and walk and plus you're exhausted. So I had one friend who happens to be a neighbor. She just lives three blocks away. And when she asked what she could do for me, actually she offered Um, she said, let's go for a walk. And so she would show up at my door and basically ring the doorbell and nag me until I shuffled out. And she would walk me every day, not with a leash. My dog was jealous. (laughs) She would walk me every day for a minimum of 15 minutes. And I refused to go longer than that. But she made sure that I got out and walked. That was a really good friend because that was a daily commitment.
0: Yes, that is excellent.
1: But, you know, if you're somebody who loves exercise and you have some place that you want to walk and you don't need a friend to do it, just go out and do it yourself.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can my audience follow your journey and find more of your work?
1: Well, I don't have a publisher yet. Okay. So what I am doing is I'm collecting a wait list for people who want to read the book for when it does have a publisher. So I have a website. It's kind of a weird website because when you go to the homepage, what you'll see is a bunch of photos of African safari animals. But... (laughs) On the uh, projects part of the the menu, you will see a thing that says breast cancer. And if you click on that, it has both the table of contents for my book. So you can see what the chapter headings are like. And they're all sort of weird things like hair to, to stay or hair today, gone tomorrow, that kind of thing. And actually, there is a really wonderful little nonprofit called Hair to Stay and what it does is it subsidizes people for cold caps which helps reduce hair loss
0: really? and
1: it's really great yeah so it's either and what they do is they subsidize it because so far insurance isn't paying for it oh wow so, and they didn't ask for this but i'm i've just told them i'm giving them a shout out on every podcast yeah anyway, um, if they go to the bottom of my table of contents on my weird Katie Safari Animals website, they will see a button where they can give me their contact information so that I can email them when the book is out.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. We will make sure to drop your website in the description box below. So that way, when your book does drop, everybody can go and get themselves a copy. And to our audience members, our on ladies our ladies and gentlemen alike, you already know, I love y'all fiercely. Okay, Thanks for having me. Thank you.